you are very welcome. All of you are welcome, and all of you is welcome. And may we find welcome together as we open God's word. I want to begin with a question. We just sang a song that's pretty bold about, I will trust in you, I will trust you, I will not be shaken, you are my foundation. For some of us, that was really needed this morning. For some of us, it might have been difficult to sing those words. And what my question is, is have you ever felt like giving up on God because you felt like maybe he kind of gave up on you? Has you ever had a time like that? Maybe you were needing something, maybe you were needing someone, maybe you were hoping for something to happen and God didn't come through. He didn't show you the next step. He didn't make a way. He didn't resolve the conflict. He didn't bring that person back. And so how long does it take before we lose our confidence in God when that happens? You see, we're, we're, we're following a group of people who were facing this very thing. It's the story of a nation released from captivity and set out on this journey towards freedom. We call this the Exodus, and it's found in a book of the Bible called Exodus, written by the leader of these people, Moses, his account of their journey. In this story, we are reminded that it is one thing for God to set us free, but it's another thing for God to help us live free. And so even though we're looking at this as a historical event, we're also looking at it kind of as a metaphor for our own journey with God. What can we learn from them? How does God want to help us continue to live lives that are free? Last week, we saw that one of the most important things about living free was a practice that God had given, the practice of remembering. And we live free when we remember how we were set free. Well, this week, we're going to pick up a second practice, a second observation here. It's found in three brief moments from three different chapters that we're going to just touch on real quick. In Exodus 15, Exodus 16, Exodus 17, where it looks like God has given up. And as we follow their journey, I want to invite you to begin looking for moments where God is speaking to you about your life. First moment comes in Exodus 15, and I just want to make sure we're around the, the time frame here. It has been three days since they left Egypt. Four days ago, they were slaves in Egypt, and then the Passover happens, and Pharaoh says, get out of here. Now, they, three days later, they are on the march. Exodus 15. For three days, they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. It was brackish. It was salty. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? Now just imagine this, they're, they're in a, a wild area, they're, they're marching, they're thirsty, they see up ahead this oasis, they run, they, maybe they plunge in or they take a big old go, it's, it's salty, I can't even drink this. So what do the people do? They look at Moses and they grumble. What does Moses do? He looks at God. Then Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a piece of wood, he threw it into the water and the water became fit to drink. I don't know how that worked. That's amazing. But God used Moses to change the water from bitter to sweet. Now they had water. Second story. Jump to the next chapter, Exodus 16. 
We find out early on in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and his assistant Aaron. The Israelites said to him, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There, oh, Egypt was so great. We sat around pots of meat. I got to admit, that's one of my favorite lines of all the Bible. Like, pots of meat. Oh, I can just see it. That's glorious. We sat around pots of meat, we ate all the food we wanted, but you, Moses, have brought us out in this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. How bad does life get where you go, you know that slavery thing wasn't so bad? So what do the people do? They look to Moses, they grumble. What does Moses do? He goes to God. The Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. And the people are going to go out each day and gather enough for that day, and in this way, I will test them and see what? What does he want to see? If they'll follow my instructions. And so th this is where we hear for the first time about this stuff called manna. And God has decided, okay, I'm going to provide enough daily, divinely. Each day there's going to be this bread substance that appears on the ground. And I'm doing this to test you, not to trick you, not to try to tempt you, but to really find out the answer to the question, are you going to follow my instructions? Are you going to trust me? Now, we don't know what this bread is, but the Israelites called it manna, and it was something that they lived on for 40 years. The Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. Wow. Now, we know that that's not all they ate. They had livestock with them. They had meat there. They had milk from these animals. They met travelers. They came upon settlements. They traded. So they had more than that. But the main thing is, is this was God's main way of saying, I'm going to give you enough. Third story now, last story. We jump ahead to Exodus 17. The people have come to a place called Rephidim. And now, instead of just finding brackish water, they have found that in this place, there is no water. It's just sand. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? Okay, something they're doing is testing God. That's interesting. Let's come back to that. But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses, and they said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? So again, what did the people do? They look to Moses, and they grumble. What does Moses do? He goes to God. Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, take in your hand that staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you at the rock by Horeb, strike the rock, water will come out of it for the people to drink. Moses strikes, water spouts, enough to meet the need. So three times this has happened, but Moses now makes a comment that he kind of editorially inserts into the story. And he said, and he called this place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Um, Massa is a word that means uh, testing and Meribah means dissatisfaction. The people were testing God. They were dissatisfied with the way that he was meeting needs in their life and the way that he was leading them. Now again, after only three days... Uh, Three days after, God did some of the most amazing miracles imaginable. After God released his people from four centuries of slavery. After he split the sea and swallowed an army. Three days later, people are doubting, I don't know if God's going to make a way. And I think the question that they ask is really at the heart of it for them. 
and for us, and it's this. Is the Lord among us or not? That's what they were wanting to know. And it almost feels like in these stories that God is setting them up to ask this question. He's testing them. He didn't have Moses lead them around problems. He had Moses lead them straight into the heart of these issues. It's almost like he wants to teach them something about themselves and something about him. Have you ever wondered why God doesn't do some of the miracles today like we read about in the Old Testament? Oh, man, God, if you would just show up and do that stuff again, make it rain in the desert, provide manna for starving people, you know, heal all the sick. If you would just do something amazing and big like that, then everyone would believe in you. It would create such great faith. Clearly, though, this is not the case, is it? Miracles do not result in great faith. These people had every miracle we could even dream of, and three days later, they're going, yeah, is God even among us or not. What does create faith? Deciding that God is worth trusting. Answering that question, is the Lord among us or not? See, the people are looking at the problems, the brackish water, the lack of food, the dry dirt, People are looking at Moses. He's the source of their pain. It's, he's the source of their blame. It's all on him. God says, I want you looking at me. This is the test. I'm the source of provision. Now, these people have some legitimate gripes. I understand that. I'm not being too hard on them. But what, what's happening is their complaining is revealing that they really don't trust that God's going to keep his promise. You see, because when this whole thing got started, God gave a promise right up front to Moses. Here's the promise in Exodus 3.8. God says, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. God's promise was, I'm not only going to get you out of Egypt, I'm going to take you out of Egypt, and I'm going to get you all the way into a brand new land. They're not there right now, they're in the wilderness. Part A of God's promise has come true, part B we're still waiting on. You got them out of Egypt, we're not yet to the land. And the test was, is God going to keep his promise? Is the Lord among us or not? And three times they failed the test. Oh, the water is so bad. We're we're, going to die. We're not going to get to the land. Oh, the water is so bad. uh, The food is is so non-existent. We're going to die of hunger. We're not going to be able to get to the land. Oh, there's no water at all. There's no way we're going to get to have taste that milk and honey. Their grumbling was centered around this doubt that God is going to be true to this promise. These were real problems, but they also had a real promise. I will bring you up. I will bring you to. I want to pause. I want to give you a moment to consider something. Has there, have you ever marched across a desert heading for a pool that you thought, this is going to satisfy me, and when you got there, it was bitter? A marriage, a job, a career, a friendship, A new home, this is going to be it. A new church, this is going to be it. And you get there and it's bitter. And the bitter water causes us to become bitter with God, to say, well, you know what, is God even with us, among us or not? Does he see me? Will he provide for me? Does he care? It took the Israelites three days to turn off their trust. How long does it take 
us? I want you to really consider that question for a moment and see what God is saying to you. Is the Lord among us or not? Fifteen years ago, I was standing in a graveyard with a young couple. Um, Mom was sitting right here. Dad was sitting right here. I was standing right here. And in between us was the smallest coffin I had ever seen. To this day, that is what stands out to me. It's just the, 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 the sheer smallness of this box. And I'm stumbling through trying to give words of hope and, and encouragement and, and truth. But the reality is, how do you trust a God who let your little baby girl go? Especially when you go, could God have saved this baby? Yes. Did God save this baby? No. Why? No answer. Continue to believe that when we ask why questions of God, he often responds in who questions. Back to us, who answers. Am I among you or not? Do you trust me? To live free, we decide to trust that God will provide. To live free, we choose to have faith that what he has said he will do, he will do. But that's not always so easy. And that's why singing songs like the one we did a minute ago is important because it's a chance to reaffirm. You know, in the, when that song started, I was like, this is a good song. And by the end, I was like, I do need to say this. I do need to trust you. But how do you trust in God's provision when there seems to be no way? I'd like to offer you two things that are helping me make that choice that I'm going to trust him to provide. First, it's when I came to this realization that God's provision doesn't always look like we think. Sometimes God's provision doesn't show up the way we think it is. It shows up like a piece of wood being thrown in water or this weird bread that's showing up on the ground. It's just not recognizable. This summer I was taking time uh, reflecting on some things in my life and I was looking over the last 10 years of my journals where I journal and I write down things and I realized um, how often in the last 10 years uh, my journals have been focused on things I was learning about God or things I was working through with the church um, and things I was praying for with my family, um, but how little often I was writing about my kids. I don't know, where was my focus been the last 10 years? And so I was kind of reflecting on that a little bit and thinking, you know, I don't know that I've been the dad over the last 10 years that I wish I was. And then I, I turned the page in this journal and this photo fell out. This is a photo of my dad when he was about a couple years older than my oldest. And in this photo, which is dated May 1969, he is about seven months away from hearing the news, you're going to be a father. And my dad was, uh, we have a, a pretty good relationship now, but he wasn't around for most of my life. And so I kind of had these two things hitting me, looking back at the, my dad was gone for a lot of his life. I've been up here for a lot of my life, but still have some frustration over how I've led. And I kind of came to this thought of, I'm grieving. I'm grieving the father I didn't have, and I'm grieving, grieving the father I haven't been. And I'd been reading some Irish poetry by this author, and this one line really stuck out to me, and I wanted to share it with you from John O'Donohue. 
He says, your heart has grown heavy with loss, and though this loss has wounded others too, no one knows what has been taken from you. And I just say that to all of us. I mean, we, we, we all have experienced things of times of loss, and, and maybe we've experienced it with other people, but to you specifically, no one knows what has been taken from you. There's an isolation. There's a loneliness to that. Now, I wasn't just having a pity party. It was in a cabin off in Buena Vista, and I'm just sitting in this weight of this moment. And I was like, you know, something was taken from me, and it's okay. And I don't have to shuff it off and say, oh, you know, but that was a long time ago. I'm much better. No, no one knows. And I thought, man, I'm really grieving the dad I didn't have and the dad I haven't been. And then I felt like God reminded me of a passage in Scripture, and it is one of the craziest sentences God ever said. I can't believe it made past editorial review. I can't believe this made it in. Can you believe this? Here's what it is. In Genesis, God says, then the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and he was, what? What kind of God tells you that he's deeply grieved? What kind of God says that the source of his grief is you or me? I was trying to figure out what was happening there, and I, I don't think, because of my belief in, in what the rest of the Bible says, I don't think that God's like, man, I really made a mistake. If I could go back in time, you know, I would change it. And wouldn't have. <clears throat> I called Jessica. I was talking to her about this. I was like, hey, let me share this great verse that God gave me. <laughs> it's Genesis 6-6. And she goes, oh, so are you wishing we didn't have kids? Like, what's the point of this story? I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't think God is saying, I wish you didn't have kids. I think he's saying, man, I look at the roads that my kids are on and how they are hurting each other and, and all this stuff was happening, and I, it's just hard to be a dad. And I'm grieving that, and that's okay. And I felt like God said, you know, Thomas, it'd be weird if you weren't grieving mistakes and regrets in your life. So I'm sitting with all that, and there was this one more passage that kind of flitted across my heart. It's this part where this ancient prophet is saying, one day a man is going to come who is going to take the pain away, is going to take the guilt away, he's going to take all the shame away, and part of who this guy is is this. He will be a man of sorrows and what? Acquainted with grief. So here's how it all put together for me, and here's the, the provision. No one knows what's been taken from me in my life just like no one knows what's been taken from you. No one knows my grief, but one man does. And in that moment, I felt like Jesus was saying, hey, Thomas, I, it's hard to be a dad. I'm acquainted with grief. And though I'm not going to go back and change some things about the last 10 years or the last 48 years, I will sit with you and we will grieve together. God's promise wasn't that life would turn out like I expected. God's promise was not that I'd be free from problems. God's promise wasn't that I wouldn't have hurt in my life. But his provision in this moment was completely unexpected. I did not expect to hear God say, I will sit and grieve with you because it's hard. That was the answer to my question in that cabin. Is the Lord among us or not? And I want you to hear this today. God sees you. God provides and is providing for you. And it may not be what you want, and it may not look like what you want. It may be just what you need, or maybe it's just enough for that day. But we can choose to say, Jesus, you are my provision.
That was the first way, but there was one other way I thought that, that might help us when it seems God's not making a way. Sometimes God's provision looks different than we think, but sometimes God wants us to be the provision for someone. God used Moses, right? He used Moses to be the provision for others. Moses, you throw the tree in the water. Moses, you strike the rock with the stick. Moses, and this is the other reason why, in my opinion, why we don't see some of these mega miracles today is that I think that God is expecting us to be the miracles in other people's lives. There's more than enough food on this planet for every belly to go, please, I'm stuffed. The problem is not provision. The problem is division. It's handing it out. We're not taking care of each other. And so Monday I was sitting in our staff meeting and we were just sharing some stories of what, were hap- what you guys were doing and, and people were doing in our church. I was moved to tears by story after story of how people at Pulpit Rock are being the provision for others. We have people here that are walking with those who are dying. They're just sitting in rooms with people. We have people that are providing beds for bedless kids in our city so they get, are, are allowed to stay in a foster care situation. How our people are using art to enable homeless people in our city to express their dignity. How last Sunday, over 75 Operation Christmas Child boxes were handed out, including one little girl who came up and handed a My Little Pony and a little brush and said, could, could some kid use this? Could a pink little pony with ratty hair be God's provision in some way to somebody? How our sister church in Ethiopia is facing some racial and tribal violence and our people are talking about how can we go and help and be. How in the last eight years alone, we, we have had our churches given above and beyond their normal contribution to this thing called the Christmas offering where we have funded sonogram machines for local pregnancy centers, training for tribal leaders in Africa, support for people sharing Christ all over the globe, housing help for refugees in our own city, protective gear for law enforcement officers on the job, and the list goes on and on. And this is what moved me to tears. In a nation that is increasingly divisive and vitrolic, where the other is demonized and feared, where the darkness is ranted about and posted about and cursed, we are lighting candles. We are being the provision of God to others. There are people right now that are calling out to God, provide God, provide. And God's answer is you. And you. And you. And me. And us. Well, Thomas, we can't fix everything. No, but we can do the most that any of us can do. And that's somewhere more than nothing and somewhere less than everything. Where are you in trusting Christ as your provision? If you think about it, Christ is like the wood thrown into the water that turns the bittersweet. Christ is like the manna, the daily bread that provides enough. Christ is a rock that allowed himself to be struck only so that fountains of living water would flow. And those who would drink the water he gives would never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring in him, giving them eternal life. To live free, we choose to trust that Jesus is our provision. 
And so we come back to a question. Is the Lord among us or not? We answer that question when we choose to believe that God is worth trusting, even when his provision looks different than we think. And we answer this question when we choose to be the provision for someone else. How will you answer this question this week? How will you answer this question in the next 24 hours? Is there a pool of bitter water in front of you that you need to talk to God about? Maybe during this last song as our band is about to play, that, that, that you make your way over to our prayer area. Maybe you need to write something down or put something out. Is there someone that God is asking you to be the provision for? That maybe that means giving some money to something. Maybe it means giving some time. Maybe it means to go and sit with someone. Is the Lord among us or not? I'm going to give you a moment to sit with that question. And when you are ready, will you stand and respond with us?